West Bulls, good morning. Uh, I've got a question. How many of you in here are the oldest sibling in your family? All right. So here's what I'm going to need to do. Oldest siblings, we're going to talk for a second here. Everybody else, you're free to listen in. You may not like what you hear, but you're free to listen in, all right? So oldest siblings, we, um, we understand each other, right? We understand why God brought younger siblings into our lives. It's to serve us, the older sibling, right? Finally, some people who understand. I've been trying to tell my mom and my dad and my younger sister this my entire, well, my younger sister's entire life. Um, It started when we were younger. We would play baseball in the backyard. And, I mean, I was always up to bat first, okay? And and I told my sister, if you can strike me out, you can be up to bat. And, uh, I mean, I was just home run king. And so, not only was she the pitcher, but she also, she had to go get the ball when it went over the fence. And then when, when something got broken, um, the younger sibling, well, I, I looked at her and I said, you're going to go tell mom and dad you did that. And, and then we had this understanding that once in a while we would get pop. It was kind of a treat from time to time. And I made sure my, that my sister Kyla understood that um, my pop is my pop and your pop is your pop until I'm done with my pop and I need more pop, Okay. And so I got to the point where I didn't even have to force it from her. I would, I would fake like this, this deadly hiccup attack, and she would go, here, take it. And then there was, um, there was about 10 years ago. I was 27, and she was 22. And my parents were going out to Nebraska to see some relatives, and my wife, she had to work. So for old time's sake, we, we hopped in the car, and we drove to Nebraska. And all I was trying to do and explain was that I I needed my God-given, it's my birthright, how much of the back seat, older siblings, do we get? Two-thirds of the back seat, older siblings get. And she decided to fight back and say, no, you get half. And so we did that little, um, you know, the line game. And she started started swatting me when I I crossed it. And so we got into this, this fight in the back seat of the car. I'm 27 years old. She's 22 at the time. And no joke... David Harrison, who smiles and greets you every single week when he comes into the foyer, he said, I will pull this car over and I will swap both of you. I will spank both of you. And I went, this is awesome. I'm 27 and she's 22 and we're still getting in trouble for for fighting in the car on the way to Nebraska. And and I I, I sat there and I thought, it's still my God-given birthright to have this much of the back seat. And I remember my mom said, Nathan, did it ever occur to you that your younger sister is here for more than just serving you? And I went, <laughs> no, that is like the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. Right, older siblings? It's preposterous, okay? <sighs> okay, let me come back to everybody. Have you ever had one of those lessons that you just seem to not learn? And, and you have to learn it over and over and be reminded of it over and over Well, I bring that up because last week we started talking about Jesus. As we're going through the book of Mark, we started talking about Jesus as teacher. And we saw this moment where he's he's actually teaching a, a big crowd. And he taught them what it is they're supposed to do with his teachings. But this morning, I want to look at a little bit different teaching moment that Jesus brought out. And in fact, this one wasn't very public. Uh, Mark, we're in Mark chapter 9, if you have your Bibles. But Mark chapter 9, verse 
30 says this. Jesus has just healed a boy with an evil spirit. And look what it says. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. See, now we've moved from a teaching moment with the crowds and and the public and everybody following him. And now Jesus, he's going to look at his disciples and he's going to teach them something that they've got to know. And that you and I have got to know. When you look at all of Jesus' teachings, this one may be one that's foundational. It is one that's foundational. Because Jesus, I think he looked at them and he looks at us and he says, look, regardless of whether you're an oldest sibling... We all tend to have this thinking like an oldest sibling, that the others are there to serve me. And Jesus is about to teach his disciples and you and I something that we've got to be reminded of over and over and over. Because if we don't get this right, I'm not sure it matters how much else we really get right. And so it continues. Look at verse 31. He said to them, The Son of Man, referring to himself, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. Now, think about that phrase for a minute. If he's going to be delivered into the hands of men, that means he's not in the hands of men yet. Whose hands is he in? He's in the hands of his Heavenly Father. And it should give us a little bit of perspective that, whoa, God, you allowed your Son to be delivered out of your hands into the hands of men. Because you know what happens when Jesus is delivered into the hands of men? He continues. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And this next piece, I think, is one we've got to pay attention to. Look at, look at verse 32. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. See, isn't it interesting Isn't it interesting what we see, the progression we see there? They did not understand what he was referring to, and understandably, right? Because the cross hasn't happened yet. Jesus is referring to himself going to the cross, being crucified and raised to life. But that hadn't happened yet, so they have no picture of it. They they can't wrap their minds around it. But did you notice the progression? When they didn't understand, it said they were afraid. When we don't understand what Jesus did for us, you want to know what the result is? We're afraid. And and we begin to live a way of life that he released us from when he went to the cross. So it's understandable that they didn't get it, but we're we're on the other side of the cross. We've, We've seen what happened. We read about what happened. We ponder what happened. And yet the dynamic is no different. When, when we forget, when we lose sight of, when we misunderstand what Jesus did for us, you know what? We lose sight of how God sees us. Because Jesus going to the cross, what the disciples didn't understand in that moment and what we lose sight of, Jesus going to the cross says something about how God sees us. And that is how Jesus opens this lesson to the disciples. When we lose sight of what Jesus did for us, we also lose sight of how God sees us. It it reminds me of, many of you know Lincoln, he's our four-year-old, and um, we've had a number of moments, but recently there was a moment where 
Lincoln just didn't want to listen. And so I sat down with him and I said, Lincoln, we're acting naughty right now. And Lincoln was feeling defiant. And he said, no, you're acting naughty. You know what? Okay. All right. I'm not going down this road. You know what, Lincoln? It's time to go to timeout. And he said, no, you're going to timeout. And so I did, naturally, I, I called for reinforcements, and mommy got him to timeout, okay? And timeout in our house is not bad. It's basically one minute for every year old you are. So four years old, he's got four minutes. Not bad. I mean, I did 37 minutes in timeout the other day, all right? <laughs> or not, uh, did I say 37? 25 minutes in timeout the other day. Well, Lincoln, he served his time. He served his four minutes in timeout, and we sat down, we had a discussion, and he was still upset. And I said, all right, you can come out of timeout. And still feeling defiant, he said, no, I'm staying in timeout. <laughs> and I went, you're free to go. No, I'm in timeout. And I went, all right, you can come out when you want. But you know what I think happens when we lose sight of what Jesus did for us? We become like children whose heavenly father has said, you're free. You are free. You're free. You're free from whatever, whatever chains were on you before. And you know what we do? We say, no, I'm staying in timeout. And we live that way. We, we give in to that fear. Well, you want to know what happens when, when we lose sight of what Jesus did for us? It's what we see with the disciples next. Verse 33. It says, they came to Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is not just the name of a town that you read in your Bible, okay? It has special significance here because you want to know what Capernaum was? Capernaum was the hometown of three, maybe four of these disciples. Three or four of these disciples grew up in Capernaum. And they left and they hadn't been back for a while and now they're coming back. So you can imagine, it's like a high school reunion, right? We're coming back and I don't know how many of you have been to a high school reunion, but there is this underlying dynamic of I got to show everybody what my life's like now. You know, I got to, I got to look cool. I'm going to go rent a Ferrari and I'm, you know, a tux and, and make everybody think I'm great now. And so the disciples are coming back to their hometown and Jesus, look what happens next. They came to Capernaum when he was in the house, he, Jesus asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? I want you to think about the last argument you had with somebody. And just, let's be honest, when you have that argument, when you have any argument, who are we usually fighting for when we argue with somebody? Ourselves. Yeah, because I want to get my way, and I want somebody to see things from my perspective. And look at the next part. But they kept quiet. I thought, I bet they did. Because I love it when Jesus asks a question, and you know, Jesus, you know the answer. I mean, you can like see into my heart right now. And so they chose wisely. Because if you, if you don't say, or if you say something, you try to make something up, he knows. And then if you say what you're actually arguing about, well, that looks a little silly, as we're about to find out. But they kept quiet. Because on the way, they had argued about what? About who was the greatest. Now, I want you to look at something. If we zoom out for just a second... Mark chapter 9 begins with what's called the transfiguration of Jesus. And it's this, it's this incredible display, and it says Jesus' clothes turned dazzling white, whiter than you could even bleach clothing. 
And it's just like all this glory around him. And then Peter decides to try to say something. And this voice from heaven interrupts him and says, no, listen. This is my son who I love. Listen to him. In other words, Peter, you're not talking right now. This is a bad time to talk. Because you want to know what the transfiguration is about? It's about Jesus' glory. Not anyone else's glory. And then right after the transfiguration, the disciples try to heal this boy with an evil spirit and they can't do it. And later Jesus heals them and they come to him and they say, well, why couldn't we do it? And Jesus said, because this kind can only come out by prayer. In other words, it's about whose ability? It's about Jesus' ability, not ours. So it's about Jesus' glory. It's about Jesus' ability. And then they decide to argue about who? Themselves. In fact, as you go through Mark chapter 9 and 10 and 11 and 12, there's a lot of teaching going on by Jesus. And every single time, you know what he's getting at? It's about God. It's about Jesus. He talks about marriage and he talks about, um, it's about God's intent for marriage. God's use of marriage, not man's. He shows up at the temple and he sees people buying and selling and making a profit. And he says, no, 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 this place is not for your intentions. It's for his intentions. And yet in the middle of all that two times, you want to know who the disciples get really, really focused on? Themselves. You want to know what happens? Isn't it interesting when we lose sight of what Jesus did for us? Who comes into focus? Us. Right? We look for evidence that other people are for us. We look for ways to push people down below us. We find ways to make it about us. And that's exactly what you see here. They get into this argument. When we lose sight, when we don't understand what Jesus did for us, we find small battles to make about us. I've got, I've got a long list of favorite, favorite moments in youth ministry. My wife and I... Um, we got to work with the youth here for, for a little while. And um, so I've got, I've got a list of favorite moments. But maybe one of my favorite moments had to do with an argument. Um, we went on this youth trip. And when you're on the bus for hours, there's just, you start finding all kinds of stuff to talk about. And I'll never forget, there were these four guys that they were always just there for each other. These were, these were juniors, maybe seniors. And they just, they were close friends all the time, inseparable well, I, I look up to the front of the bus, and none of these four are sitting together. So I went up, and I said, hey, what's, what's going on? You, know, you guys are inseparable, and suddenly you're just you're sitting by yourselves, looking out the window. You don't want to talk to each other or anyone else. What's going on? And uh, they were quiet for a few minutes and looking down. And I went, come on, what happened? They said, no, it's, it's dumb. And I was like, well, I at least want to hear what you're arguing about. And the guy looked up and he said, we were arguing and then we got in a fight over who was the most attractive Disney princess. <laughs> and I went, I'm sorry, I just want to, I want you to hear yourself say that one more time. <laughs> you guys are great friends. I mean, you, you pray for each other, and, and I don't know if you know, they're not real. <laughs> and as silly as that was to me, you know what? I've done that. 
Maybe not argued about the most attractive Disney princess, but you know what? I've done this thing that I'm sure nobody else in here has done. I've actually sat at a red light before, and when it turned to green, I pressed on the gas just enough that the car in the, le- in the left lane next to me, I stayed just far enough ahead of them to feel good about myself. <laughs> and when it came time to turn into our neighborhood, I just smiled to myself and I went, I totally got the best of that exchange. As if I'm going to go home and tell my family how great I am. Or I did this thing in high school where I, um, I actually, I lettered in wrestling one year. And what happens is you get a pin that represents wrestling and then you get a bar that represents how many years you lettered in that. Well, actually, I got a letter later that year in track and field as well. And you know what I did? Just to show people how great a wrestler I was, I took off the track and field pin and I moved the bar from track over to wrestling. Just so people would think I was a little bit greater wrestler. And, you know, I've even, I've even done this. I've even tied my value and my worth and my greatness to how people respond to me on social media. How many likes we get, how many retweets we get, how many shares we get. I know nobody else in here has done that, but isn't it interesting? When we lose sight of what Jesus did for us, we forget how God sees us. And we find small battles to make about us. In fact, I even prayed a prayer one time. And I said, Lord, I want you to make me greater. I want to do something that makes me greater. And you want to know what his Holy Spirit opened my eyes to? Greater, Nathan? Greater? The Alpha and the Omega of the universe knows your name. The creator of all space and time and everything in it knit you together in the womb. And he's got a purpose for your life that fits into your plan. You will never be greater than that. You can't get greater than that. See, we're, we're already great in the eyes of the one who truly matters. In fact, you're so great. And I'm so great in his eyes that you know what he did? He looked at your separation from him and my separation from him. And you know what he said? He said, I will give anything to reconcile our relationship. In Jesus' words, I will will allow my son to be delivered into the hands of men. To be killed on on behalf of you and then rise again. So that death, so that you will know that death will never have power over you in this life. That's how great the Alpha and Omega thinks you and I are. And this brought up a question for me. And I hope it brings up a question for us. What measure of greatness am I looking for from them that hasn't already been given by him? What measure of greatness am I looking for from them that hasn't already been given by him when he sent his son to the cross on our behalf? And right about the time that I had my eyes opened to this, and probably right about the time that the disciples realized how silly their argument was, watch what Jesus does. Verse 35, sitting down, sitting down. See, if you wanted to preach, if you wanted to rebuke people 
oftentimes you would stand. You would stand. But Jesus, as you, as you look through Mark, I want you to pay attention to how many times he sits, kneels, stoops, bends down. And so he sat down. And you know what he did? You ever sat down with a small child? It's to do what? It's to get on their level. It's to say, come on. Let's have a heart to heart about your heart. Let's talk about it. And look at what he says next. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. See, you want to know what Jesus is communicating? You've been given greatness, not for yourself. Your, your greatness is given by him for them. Your, your greatness was given by him and for them. You know what that means? It means that this Wednesday or Thursday or this week, when insecurity wells up within us, and when we start looking left and right, and we start comparing, and we start wondering, well, who's greater, who's greater? You know what he, he would say? I'm paraphrasing. But when you know God is for you, you can put others before you. Since God is for you, you can put others before you. And do we understand the implications of that? You know what that means? It means you no longer have to wonder about your value. You don't because it's been given. It can't be taken away. And you cannot increase it any more than it is. When you know God is for you, you can put others before you. You know what that means? It means that you can stop thinking and I can stop thinking as great, of greatness as a function of what we're able to do. Greatness means you and I can start looking around. Greatness means you can look around you. And instead of saying, what's my value, I can start looking how I can communicate other people's value. Well, there's one piece left to this lesson that Jesus is teaching. Because I think we can all think of others in that phrase, right? Others before us, others that are easier to put before us. But look who Jesus points out, verse 36. He took a little child and had him stand among them. Now, in our culture, children are highly valued, hopefully. But at that time, you want to know what children were? They were overlooked. Because children were all often valued and measured by what they could contribute to the family. And yet children, they're still developing physically. So they're still weak. They're still learning how to contribute and so oftentimes, a child was overlooked by people. And Jesus said, no, 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 it's a child. It's a child. In fact, I want you to do me a favor right now. Will you just look, just look to your left and look to your right at the person, the people next to you, the person in front of you, if you can, the, the person behind you. You want to know what you're seeing? A child. A child of our heavenly father. And look what comes next. Taking him in his arms. Would you turn and take the person next to you in your arms? I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you know what? I think, okay, a couple of you are taking this literally, all right? That's, I'm happy for you, okay. You want to know what your heavenly father wants his children to know? 
that they are wrapped in his arms. They are wrapped in his arms. And so look what he says. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. See, I think God desperately wants all of his children to know that he holds them in his arms, that he delivered his own son out of his arms into the hands of men so that we wouldn't have to be. And you want to know how I think he wants to communicate that to everyone around us, including those who are overlooked? You and me. He wants to communicate that through you and me, and we simply cannot communicate that Jesus is teaching, it simply cannot be communicated if I'm worried about who's for me, who's below me, and I've made everything about me. And so Jesus says, look, when you know God is for you, you can put others before you. I'll wrap up with this, and I'll ask the band to to come on up. But um, there was a family here in the church years ago who actually went to another country um, to adopt a child, and they went and visited an orphanage in this country, and they were horrified by what they saw when they walked in, because when they walked in, they saw different orphanage workers running all over the place because they had tasks and they had duties that they had to get to, and yet what they were also doing while they were doing all this was holding babies, holding these children, because it's well documented that if a baby is not held in someone's arms, it often does not develop as fully as it could, and as completely as it could, and it does not grow the way it should. And so they, they talked to one of these orphanage workers, and they said, what can we do? And they said, you know, a lot of people give toys, and a lot of people give money. And you know what, we appreciate it, but we don't need more toys. And we don't need more money. We need more people. We need more people who can hold these little ones because we just can't hold them enough for what they need. When you and I walk out of the doors this morning, you want to know what I think? I think we're walking into a giant orphanage. And it's full of children that God wants to know, you know what? I'm for you. And I hold you in my arms. And you want to know how he wants to communicate it? You and me. You and me. And so may we be people who wake up every single day and understand that since God is for us, we can put others before us, including the ones that he sets before us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your teachings, for the foundational teachings that you've given us. But Lord, I pray that this one, this one that we need a reminder of so much, oldest sibling or not, Will you remind us? Will you open our eyes to who you've set before us and remind us that you are a God who is for us. You always have been. And so let us rest in what your son did on the cross for us and in his resurrection so that we can open our eyes to those in front of us and put them before us and serve them in whatever way the situation calls for. In Jesus' name we pray.